Hello, this is Ryan Fritz. I own a company called Science of Cardio. I am a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and I want to talk to you today about creating a personalized strength and conditioning program. First, I want to start out by talking about goals. This is very important for you to select exercises. It's also important to get a understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and how do you measure success. So let's start out by talking about goals. Goals basically sets the tone for everything, how you train, what you do. This creates the exercises for you to reach your goals and then you also have to kind of map and plan out what you want to do to reach success. So the big question is, is what is your why or why are you training or doing what you want to accomplish as a successful goal? Specificity. So being very specific about what you are doing for a goal will help improve the outcome of what you're trying to do. If you're very specific, so I have these two pictures, one's a dartboard and one is kind of a sniper rifle scope. If you're throwing darts at the dartboard, you may hit a bullseye. If you have zoomed in or very specific objectives, uh, you'll be a lot more successful with specific things. So specificity is very important for optimization of reaching your goals. And then defining success. Um, are you trying to you know, win? Are you trying to be the best in your category? What is your way of saying, hey, I did a great job? If you don't hit a certain PR in the weight room, are you still going to be happy about your success or are you going to be, you know, miserable failure, sad and depressed? So I think setting up your goals and figuring out, you know, I want to lose 100 pounds, but I'll be happy if I lose 50 pounds or I want to run a marathon in this amount of time. And then using scientific principles to guide your path to reach your goals. In the exercise world, I think tend to lose some of these qualities, but uh, use science as your guide or beacon and have scientific principles. So I'm going to go over that a lot in this presentation. So individual needs. What is your health history? Do you have injuries, pains, problems? Is there scar tissue? Uh, what can and can't you do? You know, if it's hard for you to cross your legs or mobility issues or you had a surgery or break, you have pins, rods, uh, screws in joints or bones that might limit ranges of motion. It might compromise uh, force output and different things in strength and conditioning. So kind of know what you have, what you don't have or can or can't do. Uh, also, anatomy comes into play. If you see this picture on the top left, these are uh, top views of the femur. So it's the left femur. And these are just different people's femur bones. But you can see that the head and the neck of the femur are all slightly rotated differently. So I think there's a good progression in showing people that, hey, Everybody's bones can be different, different shapes, different sizes. So this changes what we can do and also may have limits on certain movements. There's a reason why, you know, a bodybuilder, a power lifter can do X, Y, or Z so well. Endurance athletes, swimmers, or gymnasts, you know, they can perform well because their body is designed for optimal power, speed, flexibility, or strength. So these pictures are from a mentor called Tom Purvis from RTS, and I think it's good to highlight that 
people are made differently and don't try to do everything the same as everybody else. Um, this lower picture on the left is a client of mine that we've worked. Uh, he goes sailing in the summer times uh, in different parts of the world, and he basically stops training with me for about four months in the summertime. So we tend to lose some postural issues, strength, stability. So this was kind of after, you know, six, seven months of us training, improving his posture. Injuries come into play. People with surgeries and have scar tissue, that limits our range of motion. You know, you may not be able to get back to optimal range of motion or movement if you have limitations, a tendon pulled off and, you know, surgically attached, you know, screw pinned back into a bone, that might limit range of motions. And then just knowing kind of what are physical limitations, you know, this is never going to be 100% because your spine has arthritic spurring or, you know, this is something we can work on and improve. I'm not sure how well it can be, but just food for thought, things to consider when you're designing a program. So basically over the years, I've found a bunch of quotes or picked up things from people's mentor groups, organizations. These are just some ways or different ways of thinking about exercise. Exercise is basically challenging your body. You're creating a stimulus. So strength or conditioning stimulus, and then rest and recovery is a part of that. So that has to repair tissues and then we're repeating that or being consistent with that. So two to four times a week or whatever your training uh, schedule or frequency is. And then we progress that over time. So maybe one to three, one to four months. And all of that, so stress, strength conditioning challenges, rest recovery on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, repeating that consistently throughout a week and then progressing over months. Uh, creates adaptation. So this is kind of what we're all striving to do with strength and conditioning challenges. So another way to look at it, this is from Tom Purvis RTS, exercise is motion and position specific, and then you have to have rest, there's a time component, and then effort and intensity all create exercise. Uh, My mentor, Brandon Green, he says force and dosage or time create exercise. Another mentor of mine, Mark Verstegen, at Exos, stress and work or stress or work and rest create success. So that rest component is just as important as the stress or challenge part. And then for me, I try to simplify everything for my clients. Force in a direction or force and direction create exercise. So is it minimal force, maximal force? What direction are you going into? How long? or how short is the force application. So exercise can be a double-edged sword. It can be good or bad. Uh, You can do exercises that create injuries. You can do exercises that prevent injuries. You can do exercises that help you kind of heal injuries. So this is a client of mine. If you look at the left picture, uh, she basically is just doing a range of motion. After that range of motion, I took that picture we went and did a reverse cable fly on a machine, and we just did like one set of 10, and then I put her back and took another picture, and if you look, the range of motion has decreased. And so this is all about perspective. You know, one side of the coin might be like, oh, well, she did an exercise and her range of motion decreased. This may not be a good exercise, and maybe this is bad for her joint. Uh, another side of that coin might be, hey, Maybe her body is 
you know, adjusting to tension and the stress that she put on and it's tightening things down. So things can be good or bad depending on how you're looking at them, but just keep a perspective or open mind about ranges of motion and also encourage you to learn and know what happens to muscles and the body as it gets challenged. So this is a little graphic that I came up with. So range of motion is kind of our indicator. And if range of motion starts to change or gets compromised, you'll see joint dysfunction or movement or motor pattern dysfunction. And that dysfunction can lead to compensations. So let's say your right foot isn't working well when you run, so you put more weight on your left foot. And over time, that left side's working harder. That causes overuse injuries or problems on that left side. And that leads to pain or injury. Usually, if we can work on it, we go back to normal range of motion, then or dysfunction or lack of range of motion and compensation. So this goes usually over and over and over until we correct or fix a mechanic or movement or a muscle weakness. Uh, over time, we go through these cycles and eventually things wear out. We tear, you know, rotator cuffs. We have meniscus tears or frays. Uh, this leads to surgery or, you know, repairing of something surgically. And then uh, we start the whole thing over again. And, you know, multiple surgeries and dysfunction can lead to joint replacements. So the key to this is basically figuring out and trying to work and improve dysfunctions, weak muscles, and range of motion issues. If you have a healthy range of motion, uh, basically you don't go through this whole circle or cycle. And uh, the other side of that is if you have somebody that has had an injury, joint replacement, let's say like a hip replacement, if you don't fix those weak muscles or you know you have a difference in right to left hip range of motion, you're going to basically just continue this over and over because the ligaments, tendons are going to wear out because of asymmetry or imbalance. So the best thing is to correct the range of motion issue and kind of steer away from all these issues. Training principles is kind of the reason why I do what I do. Basically, everybody knows kind of overload. We're trying to increase strength, increase maybe distance, increase speed. We have to overload our body to get better or increase. An example is, is if you always do 100 pounds, let's say a leg press, if you constantly, every time you go to the gym, you put 100 pounds on, your body's going to remain or stay at that level. Uh, until you put more on, do more reps or more weight or load, overload it, we aren't going to see any changes or increases. So you have to do a little bit more. And this is where a lot of people get into troubles and have injuries. Oh, well, if I do more, the better I get. And their body doesn't recover and they get hurt and injured. So another principle that is common in kind of the strength and physical therapy worlds is SAD, S-A-I-D, specific adaptations to impose demands. So example would be if your goal is to run a mile as fast as you can, you probably don't want to be training by walking. You know, if you want to get better at running, you have to run. If you want to get faster at running, you need to work on speed and faster tempos. I see a lot of people doing marathons and endurance things. They think that they need to go further 
and the goal you know of a marathon is 26.2 miles you should never be running more than that most people aren't but uh you know this mindset of more is better i would focus on the speed component because you're trying to run that marathon faster and not work on more distance or endurance uh, then on the strength side of things, if you're trying to do a one rep max squat or maximal squat effort, um, you don't want to be spending time doing AMRAPs. So that's as many reps as possible with bodyweight squats. Bodyweight squats is kind of a lower intensity and you're doing you know, 30, 40, 50 reps and you're kind of doing a you know, bodyweight load, so not super heavy. A one rep max squat is as heavy as you can or as maximum as you can. So kind of training in no man's land, if you will. Use it or lose it is a great principle. If you train, 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 and then you stop doing something, over time you will lose the benefits or gains that you have worked on. So then we go into periodization, which is basically a scientific word for scientific progression. It's a blueprint or a map of where you're trying to go or how you reach a goal. So a good example is... Um, if you're trying to do a lift, you know, you're trying to work up to 100 pounds and you currently can do 80 pounds on this exercise or lift, uh, what is your roadmap or blueprint to get to that? With periodization or scientific progression, I think kind of these components, progression, increasing load tension or time under tension is a must. We have to use scientific rest and we have to plan days of rest, recovery, and days off to allow the body to heal and repair itself. And then scientific recovery on a longer term, maybe a month, two, or quarterly timeline using tapering, overreaching, and supercompensation uh, principles. I'll explain that later in this presentation. But all these things are key components to progressing scientifically and not getting hurt or injured. Basically, don't train in no man's land. Science-based training. So there's kind of a lot of research. So there's probably 60 plus years of research, studies, and lots of information done you know, all over the world, different countries. But basically, there's kind of three things that I tell people to use scientifically for their training adaptations and getting better with their strength and conditioning. And I'll kind of review those. Basically, strength, VO2 or ESD, energy systems development, cardiovascular, and then hormones are a big science. They drive what your body does, how it adapts. Does it get stronger, faster? Do you use type 2 fibers? Are you training type 1 fibers? What's the adaptations of those fibers based on how you're training? What are your goals? The strength continuum is basically broken up into a couple different parts. You have maximum absolute strength, which is one rep max. How much weight can you lift one time? It's the meathead uh, slogan. Then you have power. Power is kind of explosive. It's working on velocity or moving or acceleration, some, uh, moving it fast, working on explosion. So this might be 40 to 60% of a maximum, but you're moving fast. Then hypertrophy, this is kind of the bodybuilder, the physique model, working on size, so you're trying to grow muscle tissue. And then you have muscular endurance, which is usually doing lots of reps with lower weight. So these are all a little bit different, and I encourage people to work with all of these different kind of strength goals at somewhere throughout their you know training program with a weekly, monthly schedule, or definitely yearly, you should be hitting some of these parts. And then energy systems development, there's kind of three energy systems of the body, 
You have the creatine phosphate energy system, which is kind of 1 to 10, 12 seconds maximum effort. And then we get into glycolysis. Glycolysis is um, kind of a two-part. There's fast and slow glycolysis, but basically it's that pushing yourself kind of to that throwing up part um, where your just body has a ton of lactic acid it can't handle or deal with the demands that you're asking it to do. So the creatine phosphate energy system and glycolysis are usually anaerobic where you're not getting enough oxygen in. And then the Krebs cycle is usually you're kind of downshifting, you're slowing down so you can get oxygen in to keep going. So this would be like a 10 mile or a long distance runner, maybe a marathoner. So all these use different uh, metabolism mechanisms. So creatine phosphate uses ATP, adenosine triphosphate. It's basically a molecule in your cells, in your muscles, and it goes through it really quick. And then after, you know, 12 seconds, your body starts going into glycolysis using of sugars and insulin. And then eventually your body depletes those stores and it goes into kind of the Krebs cycle. And it's got to do a bunch of work to break down fatty acids so it takes some time to get into that and your body kind of shifts these gears depending on the length of time that you're doing something and the speed or intensity and then the last thing on this science-based training is hormones so hormones are a huge driver of how your body changes or adapts so we have kind of cortisol cortisol is known as stress hormone human growth hormone, HGH, testosterone, endorphins, and estrogen. So if you look at these charts on the right, you have epinephrine, and you can see that there's responses to the body on the cellular level and kind of what does the body do with these hormones. So you can use strength training or conditioning to leverage these hormone or hormonal responses, and that's going to create the muscular growth or the type 1 fiber adaptations for the mitochondria to hold more oxygen in the cells. And uh, lastly, this kind of muscle force velocity curve. Um, your body basically moves faster or slower depending on the loads, and when you do a heavy load, your body moves slow. When you do a lighter load, it can move faster, just kind of basic physics. But if you look at this isometric kind of dash in the middle, uh, an isometric is basically 100% of maximum effort. It's where your body has the same tension as the force or the load. And then you have an eccentric, which is the lengthened part of the muscle. You can do up to 150, 155% of your maximum effort with that so that would be like overloading putting a weight belt on with weights or throwing a vest on and uh, a technique people use to get stronger and then you have a concentric which is the shortening of the muscle or basically traditional gym strength training that we think of this is all submaximal so if you're trying to work on improving maximal strength we need to go above 100% effort or maximum effort so just wanted to point that out Okay, we get into muscle contraction continuum, so this is kind of a segue from what we just did. So you have a myometric movement, which is the contraction or the shortening of a muscle tissue at the joints. Um, it's usually 1 to 100% effort, so it's kind of a sub-maximal effort. And traditionally, this is the go uh, contraction or the kind of let's do this thing. Uh, but body weight, dumbbell, barbells, bands are the traditional kind of concentric myometric movements. 
Um, isometrics is kind of the stability or hold or pause of a movement. So this is, again, kind of 1% to 100% effort. Things like plank or wall squat or hanging row um, are good examples of this. So this is, again, kind of a sub-maximal effort. You can work up to max effort with an isometric. Then we have the plyometric continuum. So plyometrics are kind of the breaking, stopping, or slowing down of a muscle. It's the lengthening phase. And this is usually 100 to 150% of max effort. Um, you can think of jumping or negatives in the gym as examples, but there's a cool little diagram here. You have kind of this concentric shortening on the right side of the slide. You have isometric, which is the same tension, no movement, and then the eccentric or lengthening, which is going away from the joint axis. So there's pros and cons to all of these. Um, I encourage people to train all three modalities. Most people just train in the concentric or shortening or myometric side of things. They don't spend a lot of time with plyometrics or isometrics. Um, when you get into sports worlds, a lot of people do concentric, myometric, and plyometrics, and they're not doing a lot of isometrics. Your body has to do all three. So I always tell people, optimize your joint strength, integrity, ability to move range of motion by hitting ices, myos, and plyos. The strength continuum, so I kind of went over this, but this is a little bit deeper dive into strength. The strength is a continuum, and we kind of typically, black and white, we say one to five reps, 85 to 100% of one rep max. Um, and then power is kind of a different equation, three to six reps, 40 to 60. So again, working on velocity or speed acceleration and these are all sliding continuums you know five reps is going to get strength and power kind of adaptations you're not going to have a huge crossover of endurance with those lower reps and then we get hypertrophy also kind of bodybuilding or muscle growth six to twelve reps at 65 to 85 percent of one rep max again will you get some endurance if you're working in the 12 rep max range yes um, but the whole point of this slide is to kind of tie in an intensity with the uh, reps. And then finally we have muscular endurance is kind of 12 plus reps, uh, less than 65% of 1RM. So uh, the chart at the bottom of this page I like because again, it's a sliding scale, but you can see kind of strength and power is kind of that six or less reps. And then hypertrophy or growth muscle building size is kind of that 6 to 12 rep range and then if you want to optimize muscular endurance you're kind of 12 plus so you do get some benefits or crossover into different kind of areas you know you're going to get some strength in the hypertrophy zone you'll get some uh, endurance if you're in that higher rep range on the hypertrophy zone so not super black and white but there's some good guidelines to use for program design Energy systems development or VO2, specific stuff, you know, again, creatine phosphate, anaerobic system, glycolysis is anaerobic, and Krebs cycle is aerobic. So these are kind of times, and these are all just different charts of kind of being more specific with that. So creatine phosphate, I think of like a 100 uh, meter sprint or something less where you're 90 to 100% of max heart rate, super hard, high intensity. Uh, then if you look at the chart in the middle of the slide, 
we drop down into kind of lactic acid glycolysis this is 30 seconds to four minutes so a good example is like an 800 meter sprint um, i remember a friend of mine in high school track every time they'd run like a five or 600 meter sprint they were peeking their guts out so this is super high intensity you're not getting oxygen in your body's just gassed so 80 to 90 percent of maximum heart rate and then Again, shifting kind of down, regulating into the Krebs cycle. Your body's trying to use fat for energy. And this is kind of the four plus minute mark. So uh, depending on your mile speed, you may be you know, in the Krebs cycle if you're running a seven or eight minute mile. If you're you know running a three and a half, four minute mile, you might be in that glycolysis phase. So typically I kind of go, you know, uh, two miles or more is usually that endurance Krebs cycle aerobic getting oxygen and then it's measured uh, in you know 70 to 80 percent of max heart rate for someone who's conditioned or an athlete and then I would say for someone who's deconditioned or just general fitness population would be more of a 50 to 60 max heart rate we have kind of energy systems chart here on the left and this would be an example of how your body shifts gears as it runs out of oxygen. So intensity, I think, is the biggest thing that's missed in the strength and conditioning world on kind of the amateur level. You know, from a strength side, are we using one rep max as our intensity setter or estimated one rep max? Uh, estimated one rep max is this chart on the top right corner. Let's say you can do 170 pounds and you can do that seven times. So you basically go over here to 170 pounds for seven reps, and that would estimate out to 210 pounds. Um, you can kind of do a estimated one rep max. I think this is a better approach than trying to max out, you know, especially for an inexperienced lifter. If you're, you know, super advanced, you've been training for 20 years, you've done this a lot, you know, one rep max can be viable if you're a power lifter that would be kind of more of a goal setter than estimated one rep max the left chart on the top of the slide shows that each rep correlates to a percentage so let's say you do 100 pounds one time that would basically be your one rep max and then whatever your weight you know if you do x pounds five reps that would be 87 percent of your one rep max so there's a lot of research there's a lot of algorithms calculations that have been done this lower left chart with all these people's last names these are scientists that came up with a one rep max or kind of a rep max calculator so these are all kind of one rep max at 100 pounds and then you know if you're going to be doing a sub maximal it'll give you percentages on that so you might see that in workouts if you come across that somewhere and then the last chart down here on the right corner is your kind of vo2 energy systems kind of intensities so you can kind of look through that but basically time and intensity will correlate with kind of percentages so depending on what your goals are you want to kind of shoot for max heart rates or effort levels according to that goal. Here are some examples of workouts and splits. So most people kind of do the basic, the standard three sets of 10. Um, you know, a lot of personal trainers that I met, that's kind of their go-to go gold standard three sets of 10. You know, if you do CrossFit, you might have come across AMRAPs, as many reps as possible. This is great for 
certain benefits or goals, you, you know, anaerobic um, or muscular endurance, if you're trying to, you know, get a certain look to your body or physique or muscles. We also have tempos, uh, that is the speed or timing of the movement. So this 10-10-10 would be 10 on the shortening phase, 10 on the isometric phase, 10 on the lengthening phase of an exercise. You can play around with lots of variations or you know different versions of that you know five one five or you can do more explosive or more of a hold so opens up a lot of doors there's kind of infinite or endless possibilities with tempo training then uh eccentrics or negatives you can do kind of just the lengthening or negative phase of a muscle uh, movement or an exercise so maybe like a pull-up you're working on the slow down and then you're starting or resetting at the top and then working on the slow down. So 10 seconds going down and doing four reps. So this is great for building size and muscle. Um, ascending set, so one set of eight, then you maybe decrease the weight, do a set of 10, then you decrease the weight and do a set of 12. Uh, descending is the opposite. You start with a lighter weight for 12 reps, then you do a second set at eight reps, increasing the weight, and then a set of five, increasing the weight. And then you have kind of, you know, two-a-day workouts where maybe you do an AM workout and a PM workout. You can kind of adjust this with, you know, cardio in the morning, strength in the evening, or flip that. So just kind of food for thought. Pyramid sets, uh, you're basically increasing reps or tension or intensity and then coming back down, kind of like a pyramid. So one set of six, then you're decreasing the weight, one set of eight. Then going less weight, one set of 10, and then putting more weight on, one set of eight, and then putting more weight on, one set of six. And you can kind of do that inversely where you're doing 10, 12, second set, you know, 15, the third set, and then coming back down, 12, 10. Um, wave sets are really cool. Uh, they let you kind of experiment into different strength components or goals. And there's lots of variety or variations. So this is just a basic example. You can hit kind of the strength, endurance, and power phases in a routine. So let's say you're doing bench press. You do one set of 10. Then you put on a lot more weight. Do one set of 6. Then you take off a lot of weight. You do one set of 15. And then you put maximal weight on. Do one set of 4. So you're getting that strength, endurance, and hypertrophy all in kind of that one exercise. Okay, then we have race pace, so this is going out, trying to do your 5K as fast as you can, doing your PR, and kind of maximum intensity. Volume training is really cool, You're kind of adding or looking at the total volume and increasing that over time. So volume would be like five sets, six sets, seven, eight sets of an exercise, and you know, depending on your goals, this is very beneficial to certain outcomes. Um, but it is very fatiguing, time-consuming, so there's pros and cons to it. Tabata, if you haven't heard of it, it's basically a work-to-rest ratio. So you might do a cardio workout or challenge for X amount of time, and then your rest is a certain ratio of that work. So in a strength land, you can do you know 15 seconds of power cleans and then you have 10 seconds of rest and then you go back into 15 seconds do as many power cleans as you can and then 10 seconds of rest and you can play around with different options and scenarios with that uh, one set to failure uh, i love doing this it's a great way to 
kind of stimulate your nervous system, muscle systems, and tendons differently and get good adaptations. Uh, but basically, you do kind of a, a tempo type of workout, and you're trying to fatigue or you know get to exhaustion somewhere before you get to 10 reps. And we have the 5-3-1, so this is kind of a really common thing with football. Um, I know um, I've talked to different strength coaches all over the country that are doing kind of 5-3-1. Great for improving strength. You're in that strength zone, and you kind of improve the nervous system to deal with a one rep max. Velocity or speed, you know, maybe lighter loads, moving fast. This is great for explosive sports. Um, doing isometric workouts and just holding, changing up the time and duration of your holds. And then we get into kind of splits and routines. So it'd be like an A day and a B day, or maybe you're doing an AM and a PM workout. So you'd have upper body, lower body would be a split. Maybe one day is upper body, the next day is lower, or your morning routines upper and then your evening routines lower body. And so those are different kind of options. But we have push-pull. So you have one workout's a push, one's a pull. Anterior, posterior chain stuff. So I'm going to work on all my front movements uh, on Monday and all my back movements on Tuesday. Uh, bodybuilder routine. You're basically focusing on a muscle or body part. So like shoulders. And this whole workout's all about shoulders. I'm just going to do shoulder exercises. Maybe five, six exercises just for the shoulders that day. And then tomorrow I'm going to work on my legs. I'm going to do squats, deadlifts, and different exercises just hitting the legs. And then, you know, working around each body part with a focus. Uh, agonist, antagonist is kind of similar to front and back, anterior, posterior. But basically you have certain things that move one way and then you would complement that with doing the opposite another workout session or day you have a whole body routine so i'm going to do upper body core and lower body today maybe monday wednesday friday splits also in the movement side of things you may have a linear day and a lateral day we used to do this with college and professional athletes where one day you know monday and Thursday were linear days. We're working on movements forward. And then Tuesday and Friday were lateral movements. So we're going to do all of our speed stuff to the side, lateral shuffle, lateral you know, sprints, maybe lateral lunges or side stuff in the weight room. So it's kind of a cool way to think through things. And then you have kind of that two-a-day splits where, you know, are you doing a strength in the morning and cardio in the evening or you know, I'm going to work on chest in the morning and biceps in the evening. So a lot of different variety, but I just wanted to point that out. Okay, so this is basically how I kind of think through a program. You have different categories or topics. So warm-up, activation, prehab, waking stuff up, doing corrective exercises maybe. Um, then getting into skills. So you just have these bullet points of, you know, this is my focus speed. I'm going to work on linear. I'm going to do one drill that's forward sprinting. I'm going to do one that's kind of lateral side sprinting. Um, you know, your, your strength phase, or you can focus on strength, power, endurance, and you kind of do specific things with those. Maybe you pick an exercise or a few exercises of each of these categories. So that way you're getting kind of well-rounded and hitting all the parts of the whole. 
And then we have uh, your cardio, ESD, energy systems development. Maybe you're doing a couple sprints. Maybe you're doing a couple longer minute runs. And then you're doing kind of that endurance side, Krebs cycle. And again, being real specific about intensities, recovery, time under tension. Uh, maybe you have some range of motion stuff that you want to work on or corrective exercises. And then recovery and using certain tools and modalities to help with recovery and then also kind of training things like the neck, the toes, the fingers. So this could all be done in one workout. It can be done in you know two workouts or you could have each day, I'm gonna work on this, 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 this. So again, just food for thought, thinking kind of bigger picture. Uh, then we go into sustainable programs. So this is what I do with some kind of older clients that I see. I, I really am thinking about low impact cardio. What are things that I can save people's knees, not stress their back, their joints, if they have arthritis or overuse injuries. So just, you know, thinking scientifically about what I'm doing, not just let's exercise. Uh, the sauna is a great tool to help with oxygen retention, improve mitochondria. And then we have kind of the cold therapy, cold shower. Those do certain things to cold shock proteins. They create different adaptations. Uh, they help re gen and stimulate kind of nerves and repairing damaged tissues um, this is a lot of information to take in I know uh, I do breathing things where working on rib cage and muscles that move the ribs and the spine and the vertebrae uh, and then isometric is kind of a super sustainable you know these things are I would say on the conservative side of intensity, but you can still get great benefits, great results. So for isometric strength, it helps to lower blood pressure. You have less inflammation because you're not doing as many reps and there's a lot less joint stress. So you can add more time under tension and volume with a lot less inflammation in the joint. So it's a great tool in the toolbox to use as you know uh, maybe a backup if hey my joints are bugging me or maybe you have a phase in your month where i'm going to do one week of kind of this low sustainable impact and you know take it kind of easy let my body recover a little bit and then i always kind of point out you know training everything um, we have muscles in our toes or feet or ankles or fingers or neck our pelvic floor they all do things they all create and generate force create muscle contractions and movements of bones, uh, joint range of motions. So are you training those things? Are you being specific about how they're trained? Do you know what they are? Most people, you know, you tell them, oh, bicep curl. It's like, okay, I know what a bicep is. I know what a curl is. But if, you know, you started getting into the toes or the wrist muscles, would somebody know, hey, this is extensor digitorium. How do I train it? How do I get it better? I think this ties into a lot of overuse injuries like plantar fasciitis. If you have healthy muscles, you have less injury. So the more that you can be aware, educated, and know, the better kind of you can prevent these injuries and problems. So rest intervals to goals. So this, I think, is kind of a bread and butter of success and a lot of kind of beginner intermediate athletes and exercisers don't really use this or don't know about it. So I just want to kind of go through this. So th there's two kind of organizations. ACE is American Council of Exercise and then NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association. Uh, they have these guidelines of rest intervals or recovery in between your sets. So if you look at this top chart, we have kind of just general muscle strength, one to two sets, eight to 12 reps, 30 to 90 seconds. And then endurance, 
you're doing 12 plus reps, so higher rep range and less than 30 seconds. If you're trying to accomplish a hypertrophy or growth size, we're doing six to 12 reps with 30 to 90 seconds of rest with three to six sets of exercises. And then muscular strength is two to six sets, less than six reps for two to five minutes of rest. So a lot of these correlate you know, I definitely think, and a lot of this has to do with the cells being used, the muscles and the energy systems and what they need to do to fully repair and recover. So we go down to these other charts, you got maximal strength, and it's very specific about frequency, sets, reps, rest intervals, exercises, and loads, percentages. So I want to point this out because I think it's very important for success. Again, like I said earlier, don't train in no man's land. Uh, I see this all the time, older women. I want to do, you know, muscle strength building exercises and they go take an aerobics class where they're lifting two and a half pound weights and they're doing 30 reps, you know, or a lot of repetitions. It's like, well, these are two sides of the spectrum. You know, you're doing endurance stuff with light load and you're not doing heavy load, fewer reps for maximal strength. So your goal of strength is not getting accomplished because you're doing endurance stuff. So again, just take a look at these. These are, you know, muscular endurance and hypertrophy from the NSCA. So I kind of base all my strength and kind of goals and workout intensities based off of these recommendations. Again, these are studies. These have been kind of looked over the last 60 years. So this is not just random stuff. Um, there's a lot of evidence supporting these percentages, intensities, and time and recoveries. Hormones and exercise adaptations. So there's kind of, there's two sides of the hormone and exercise adaptation coin. You got anabolic, which is growing of tissues, and catabolic, which is the degradation of tissues. And this is kind of stress or that fight or flight response. And you can see that the catabolic kind of stress converts amino acids to carbohydrates. This is called gluconeogenesis, and this inhibits protein synthesis. I do strength one day and cardio another day. I do not put them together because they're different kind of adaptations. So I try to focus on the anabolic side, growing, eating a lot, lifting to maximize that outcome. And then catabolic, you know, maybe my cardiovascular and go for a run or bike ride. Uh, that is on a separate day. And then, you know, I'm trying to do that where I can have more recovery and my body is not going to grow tissue. So when you put both of these together, they can kind of counterbalance each other out. So just if I was to say, if you wanted to optimize your potential, I would do these on separate days, but you can do them on both days. Uh, and get benefit and adaptation. In the anabolic growth tissues, you kind of have, I would say, three major hormones. There's other hormones, but these are kind of the three major. Testosterone, human growth hormone, and insulin growth factor. So again, specific rest recoveries, multiple sets, uh, intensity percentages, and rep ranges for kind of testosterone. And then HGH, or human growth hormone, uh, females do better with human growth hormone because they don't have high numbers of testosterone. So usually that 8 to 12 rep range, 30 to 90 seconds of rest intervals with kind of a moderate load, 60 to 80% is great for that. And then uh, the sauna is great. It helps release human growth hormone. So you can kind of get into the sauna after a strength program or workout 
and get a 20 to 50 percent of increase in human growth hormone by jumping in there. So it's a really cool, I call it a hack or bio secret that you can use to increase muscle growth. And then insulin growth factor happens kind of eight to 29 hours after workout. So this is the repairing of protein and cells and muscle tissues. Your insulin kind of goes up to repair things. So food for thought, different strategies or ways to manipulate kind of to optimize your goals or outcomes. And then uh, cortisol is kind of a negative hormone. Everybody thinks of cortisol when we kind of overtrain if you're doing too much. Um, When you do cardiovascular exercise, after 45 minutes, our cortisol numbers start to go up significantly. And so this is why I don't like to kind of pair the two together because they're different goals and outcomes. But um, cortisol, you know, increases the risk for injury. It um, immobilizes things. Uh, Testosterone actually binds to cortisol. So they're kind of nemesis or they use each other to kind of level out the hormonal level of the other. So exercises that increase is high volume, so three to 10 rep max or 10 exercises, large muscle groups, short rest intervals. So that's why I go through the specific rest intervals are very important. If you want to increase cortisol, do heavy weights for you know a 30 second rest. If you don't or you want to optimize something else, then stay away from that short rest interval if you're lifting heavy. And then uh, cortisol also influences human growth hormones, so it messes with the sleep levels. Uh, it goes down, so your body's doing things metabolically to create results or deal with whatever stresses you're putting on it. So you have progesterone and catecholamines, epinephrine, dopamine, norepinephrine. Uh, these are all kind of catabolic adaptations that your body does or hormones and things that do, you know, things to our body that we may or may not know or want or not want. Designing your program, uh, these are two different kind of visuals of programs. So this top one is a sustainability program that I have, you know, just general pick an exercise through, you know, go through and pick certain exercises through each column. And then this workout card is just kind of a basic um, workout, you know, that I pulled off the internet. But basically prioritize and categories, you know, the, the biggest thing is what are your goals? So all these blocks or phase, you know, goals, warm up or, you know, maybe strength exercise, cardiovascular. So I like to go through like, okay, well, what am I doing? What are my focuses? What are my goals? And I write down these kind of, you know, specific goals. Those are my categories, if you will. And then in each of those categories, I go through and pick out, okay, well, in strength, I want to work on squats to improve my ability to jump. And that's an explosive movement. And then I start kind of picking the exercises. And then I think through like, okay, well, is this explosive? Is it strength? Is this cardio, muscular endurance? And that determines your reps. And then, you know, you can go picking out your intensities and loads, time under tensions based off of your goal. So a lot of people just say, okay, I need to go strength train. I'm going to do three sets of 10 for these 10 exercises. And, you know, it's, it's great if you're just starting, but if you're sports specific or advanced trying to get into more, uh, the more detail you have, the better results you're going to get. Uh, rest and recovery, you know, so intra 
exercise. So what's your rest interval? Again, that should be science-based and not just, oh, well, I'm bored. I'm tired of looking at Facebook. I'm going to hop on and get to uh, this next exercise. It should be very specific. Um, and that's going to you know, do certain things with adaptations. It may improve the goal that you're trying to, or it may diminish the returns on that goal. So, you know, duration, what is a timeline of your workout? Do you have 90 minutes, 60 minutes, 30 minutes? Uh, that's going to drive how many exercises you pick. Um, I will write exercise or a workout and I'll go through and do the workout with a client. And sometimes I have to modify, I have to take out exercises or, oh, I wanted that to be 45 minutes and it was only 30. And I'll go in and say, okay, this is another goal we can work on or we add an exercise to a category. And then, you know, being thoughtful about kind of days and weeks and months and how are you progressing each exercise, how are you progressing the workout, the volume over, you know, weeks or months or quarters, but basically be kind of goal related and science driven when you're putting your details in. Okay. So periodization, I talked about this a little bit, basically a scientific progression or plan, a blueprint or a map. How are you, you know, getting to whatever goal you are? You know, a good example is pull-ups. You know, if you can't do any pull-ups, what are you kind of reverse engineering to get to do a pull-up? Or, you know, I can do 10 pull-ups and I want to do 20 pull-ups. You know, what is involved and what are the components of that to get to that goal? I'll go into a couple parts of this. So first one, I'm going to go over this types of periodization. So that bottom left lower uh, diagram. So volume and intensity are opposites. So as volume goes up, intensity goes down, or as intensity goes up, volume should go down. Uh, so you have three different types of progressions. So you have a linear where you're just increasing as you go. You have an undulating where you're going up and coming down. So the volume's going up, intensity is going down, and then they flip-flop. Intensity goes up, volume goes down, and then you have a block uh, phase or periodization. So, you know, this week or this month, I'm going to work on power. Next month, I'm going to work on strength. And then I'm going to work on skill specific. And then the fourth month, I'm going to work on hypertrophy or growth. So, um, you know, just examples, you know, week one is one set of five. Week two is five sets of eight. So these things are changing and you're modifying and working on specific goals. So these can be set however uh, they fit with science and your goals. And then you're thinking kind of daily, weekly, monthly, and you're thinking about volume, intensity, rest, range of motion as you're improving or increasing this program. So uh, this is a little confusing. This is a very advanced kind of science and exercise strength conditioning. So, you know, the point is, is that you're changing things up to get your body to adapt or adjust. You're not doing the same flat line, three sets of 10 every week for the rest of your life. Okay, and then a little bit more detail, this top left diagram, periodization. Um, we have kind of the, the time on the little chart scale here, powers of phase, strengths of phase, hypertrophies of phase, and each week or each session, we're changing the reps and sets to cover the kind of spectrum of that goal or phase and then we're very specific about intensities so percentages and rest intervals or recovery and again we're thinking about exercise selection is very important you know if you 
uh, running a marathon, you don't have to do push-ups to be a great marathon runner. Um, you know, work to rest ratios, time under tension, volume. You know, how much if you do three sets of ten squats week one, week two should be maybe three sets of twelve to increase the volume. There should be a progression or increase. Uh, intensity percentages, you know, should change as you're trying to work towards your goal. Range of motions are going to be factors with certain things. Maybe you do, you know, the first week you're doing half ranges, the second week you're doing three quarter ranges of motions, then the next week you do full ranges. Um, so just thinking about everything kind of in, out, all the way across, uh, up and down, and to again just change the stimulus or change the stress on your body so that it gets better and improves towards your goal. So specifically things that I'm looking at are micro-progressing. So a lot of people say, oh, I want to go up, you know, 25 pounds on my rucksack hikes each week. And I would say, you know, good luck with that. Let me know how your back feels. <laughs> Hopefully don't already ate a disc. Um, but micro-progress, you know, if you're doing one pound, a lot of people are like, well, i got to go up to two pounds and three pounds. Well, you can actually go, you know, 1.1 pounds, 1.2 pounds, 1.3. So just think about small progressions. This will allow your body to adapt and stay injury-free and maintain or tolerate the stresses you're putting on your body. Uh, sci have scientific rest. So rest intervals, you're thinking on a, a you know exercise scope or spectrum. We have weekly scientific rest and then quarterly. So I tell my clients every quarter or every four months you should take a week off to allow your body to rest and recover. That helps psychologically because they're like, oh, I took a week off, I really wanted to work out, but then they feel better and it gets them back in the groove. So that's kind of the secret to advanced strength training is having those kind of week offs uh, strategically or planned into your season or your training kind of year. Uh, scientific recovery, knowing the time that tissues take to heal. So if you look at this little chart here, I took a cadaver class uh, and we went through, you know, muscles recover very quickly, like, you know, one, two, maybe three days. But then you get into ligaments, uh, you know, you're looking at weeks to months to a year for a ligament to heal. Tendons can be months. Uh, bones, you know, can be weeks, months. Every tissue has a different oxygen and blood influence, which drives their recovery times. So uh, I like to point this out because your muscles can repair and fix, but your ligaments or tendons may not recover in that same time frame. So that's why I take off quarterly or here and there to allow those things to catch up with the recovery. And this is why people get injured, and this is a great way to prevent injury. This is a secret. Uh, then we have kind of the cold and hot therapies will help with that recovery speeding up cycles. Um, and then throughout the year, I use different phases or cycles, so in-season, off-season, pre-season, or you can use things like blocks. Okay, well, the first quarter I'm doing this, second quarter, or, you know, my goal is hypertrophy for this phase and then I'm going to work on endurance and then strength as a different phase but basically you're just kind of putting all this stuff together thinking through using scientific principles and then you know you're using deloads or unloads or taper kind of recovery weeks sessions uh, or 
you know, every quarter you're doing an off week or an unload or, you know, a lesser intensity week to allow your tendons and bones and ligaments to repair fully to keep up with the muscle challenges. So overreaching, supercompensation, unload, deload, and tapering. I'll go into a little bit more details with this. Um, hopefully you've heard of these. If not, uh, basically this chart on the top left is a perfect scenario or best case of what we're trying to do. We kind of increase uh, weekly or whatever your cycles, your micro cycles are. We're trying to increase that over time. And then we have a planned recovery. And then we kind of start over at kind of that mid to you know, 50 to 75% of what you just did. And we work our way up past, you know, what that peak was on the last phase. And then we recover and then we go up. So I like to point that out. It's not a straight line all the way to the top. We're using science and, you know, scientific studies and data and information to keep progressing in the right direction without getting hurt or injured. So this is, again, where people that don't know, don't have the knowledge or that aren't informed, they try to do this straight line and usually something breaks, tears, rips. But uh, I want to see you having success and not uh, be injured. So that's kind of the goal. Then uh, below that, if you look at this chart with the lines and there's also a bar graph at the bottom. So this may be volume or intensities are increasing. Then you have an unload week. Then they increase a little bit more. Unload week, increase, unload, or taper. And, uh, you know, long-term, bigger picture, we're going up in intensity and hopefully getting stronger, faster, better, and we're not getting injured. Okay, then we look at the right side. Uh, we have this chart on the top that's basically showing this green circle of overreaching so an example would be you're pushing yourself really hard but then you know when to take off afterwards so you got this green circle overreaching that's kind of the peak or maximum you're going to get your body to do and then on the training phase if you keep pushing it do too much stress too much fitness you have overtraining so you'll actually see decreases in performance decreases in power strength endurance your heart rate you know is high or elevated so we want to stay out of that overtraining method and uh, I would say that you know the overreaching is what we're trying to do but then we have to have an unload or a taper deload after that to prevent overtraining and injury so hopefully that makes sense this is kind of a zoomed in approach of kind of these little progressions. And then the chart below that kind of shows the exercise stress and then the super compensation or overreaching. Your body improves. So a good example would be like you do three or four weeks of progressive overload and then you take off a week and your body repairs and builds back better, but it's used to stress and challenge, so it actually performs better. So when you do a maximum lift or like a world record, you want to have this like peak performance. So they try to do the Olympics at this peak, like the super compensation, you know, phase or maybe the Super Bowl or the World Cup. Everything's you're trying to hit that super compensation. This is you recovered and your training, your optimization, you're gonna perform your best one rep max squat 
and your body's healed and recovered. If it's stressed too much, it won't perform well. So again, kind of these microcycles, you're just progressing, trying to get that peak at your optimal time, maybe a race or a strength event. Periodization examples, so uh, this top chart on the left here is the NSCA, very specific exercises with um, load percentages, reps and sets, and this kind of increases over the weeks. So this is just an example of what I'm talking about. You can look through that and have an upper body and a lower body uh, split. In the days, it's very specific. It's super compact. Uh, this chart below is a macro cycle. This is like a year cycle for an Olympic sprinter. And you can look. There's all these different phases, um, you know, going through in-season, off-season, competition. You have the, you know, world championships and the finals. And you're doing these different competition phases. So the at the Olympic level, they basically do this for four years, and you're trying to peak in that fourth year at the Olympic world best um, PR. So food for thought, people are doing this at the college professional level. And then the uh, ISOFIT example, so you have kind of workout one, two, and three. They're different exercises. You're doing isometrics into a non-movable object. This machine is basically like a bar you push or pull into. And then if you look at the bottom, you have kind of week one through nine. And the time under tension says six sets of ten. And that gives you a total volume of 60 seconds of time under tension for that week. Then the next week, uh, 80 seconds of time under tension or four times 20 seconds. So you're increasing the basically time each week but also the volumes increasing so if you look at week one it's 60 seconds of total time under tension and then week nine is 180 seconds of time under tension so it's progressing over that nine weeks and you're doing kind of this smart progression towards that you know three times from where you started intensity so my recommendation for you know checking the boxes or things to accomplish throughout the week um, for strength i usually tell people to maximum lift at least once a week where you're lifting heavy loads moving it and this is usually 85 plus you know maximum effort and then another one session a week should be isometric so we're getting kind of that moving the concentric eccentric shortening lengthening and also stability of the joint and muscles so the isometrics has less inflammation and less soreness but great for stability and then on the cardio esd vo2 conditioning side of things i recommend once a week we do steady state or long slow distance and this you know is like 90 plus minutes and then kind of that 60 to 70 max heart rate. Um, I would say maybe 50 to 70% of max heart rate is a good range. Uh, this would be zone two cardio. And then once a week you're doing intervals or fast, slow, uh, maximum effort. So 90% max heart rate or 10 second burst. So this would be like a a sprint, you know, maybe a 40 yard dash and then recover, rest, do another sprint. Um, you can do, you know, sprints on the bike, the uh, interval training on, you know, an aerodyne or a rower or, you know, elliptical. But basically try to get your heart rate up to 90% of max heart rate so that you're getting those breathing, the big muscle contractions of the rib cage, the intercostals, and you're working on 
those things. And then I try to encourage people to do something mobility wise once a week, either range of motion movements, uh, Tai Chi, corrective exercises, prehab or rehab things that should be somewhere in your week. Uh, use it or lose it. If you're not working on your neck, it's not going to stay or maintain. So we need to do things to maintain or get stronger. And then once a month, I usually fast. So I will go 24 hours without eating. This is great to help detox. And uh, we kind of rest the nerve, nervous system, the, the digestive system. We have great stem cell stimulation, and it helps with recovery, regeneration, and then autophagy, which is basically clearing out all the dead crappy cells. So this is great for just longevity, prevention of cancer, um, giving our body a complete kind of rest and taking off. So, you know, those I would say are more goal specific, but I think for general public, general population, you know, doing fasting uh, here and there is a good idea uh, for overall health. Okay, and then so creating your own program. Here's an example of a software that I use. Um, this is just a small clippet of what I think of, you know, when I'm programming. So you kind of have to take, you know, bites of the elephant in small chunks. So uh, this is just an example of metabolic circuit and a energy systems circuit. And again, these are just random exercises. You can kind of use whatever you need to for your goal or specific to you and what you want to accomplish. But so if you look at this kind of week one going down, uh, we have step ups alternating for 20 seconds, two sets, push ups, two sets of eight, and then overhead straight arm shrug. That's uh, two sets of six. And then uh, the second week, we're doing more time under tension. So 30 seconds for the step ups. We got two sets of 10 for push ups. So the volume's going up, the intensity is going up. And then we kind of build that week three is more than week two and week four is more than three, two, one. So you can see how that progresses. But I like looking at it over kind of a timeline. So you're strategically thinking or planning or mapping out like, okay, hey, I'm going to try to work you know, metabolically. I'm working on endurance as a goal. I'm trying to build up my reps over the weeks. And then if we go into the energy systems development, VO2 conditioning stuff down here at the bottom, first week we have kind of holding dumbbells going up and down stairs, going up and down twice. So one set of two reps. And then the second week, two sets of two reps. And we have three sets the third week and four sets the fourth week. So we're increasing the intensity and challenge. So that's kind of a wrap with everything. Um, Again, basically come up with your goals, be very specific about what you do, have kind of your specific needs and know what you can and can't do. Exercise selection is very important based off of your goals and then map it out, plan it. What are you doing daily, weekly, monthly as far as intensities, recoveries, um, you know, progressions, kind of thinking through that long-term plan. I like to track progress. I think it's very important uh, using something like an app or a Garmin watch or Strava or you know even writing it down on a piece of paper old school using Excel spreadsheets. But you should be able to see progress and you should have a way of collecting that. I like 
you know, the watch and having my program pre-designed because I can just fill stuff in pretty quickly. And then also be open-minded, you know, experiment, be able to adjust or modify or kind of reprogram or create new programs based off of what you find off the data that you've collected. So you're using a scientific method. I think or I thought that if I did X, this would happen, but I was wrong. It didn't happen. So I'm going to try this new uh, experiment. So again, thinking kind of big picture, long term, short term, weekly, thinking about the workout. So that is, you know, macro, meso, micro cycles, and thinking about periodization, that long term planning. So thank you for your time. And I hope this was informative. And um, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let me know if you have any questions. And hopefully this is a good introduction to creating your own program and using science as a way to progress and get better.